Welcome to a special edition of the Macworld Podcast, recorded at our Macworld Live stage at San Francisco's Macworld iWorld Show. As part of these podcasts, you'll hear interviews with some of the best and brightest in the Apple industry. Thanks for tuning in. This is your official welcome to Macworld iWorld 2014. This is our first session here at the Macworld Live stage. We're going to be here for the next three days. I will be here spending a lot of time on this particular stage, but I will be joined by many other people, and many other people will be here who are not me. So uh, I would like to introduce first our very first session, and this is important to us because I talk to the guys at iFixit every single year for a variety of reasons, and so I wanted them to be first here on stage. So to my left and to your right is Kyle Weens, and are you the... Uh, uh, CEO, founder... CEO, founder... The guy. He's the guy. And then on my right and to your left is Scott Head, who is not the CEO. No, no, I'm not. But he, too, is a guy. Yeah, I'm a guy. Who does many things. Sure. So the way we generally do these things when, we, when I have Mac fix it here is we do a couple of, of different things. One is they fix something. I don't fix something because I can't fix things very well. <laughs> you're, uh, you're not bad. I'm okay. You know, but I have, these are actually all thumbs, and so that doesn't work out so well. Well, it's your big hands. I got the big hands. You, you like, they leave the repairs to your kids. Right. I leave my, because they have little tiny fingers. Yeah. So that's the reason you have children, is they have little tiny fingers. Um, but sometimes you guys fix stuff, and I think you're prepared to even take a request from the audience. We were thinking about, we wanted to see what all of you had that was broken, like, with you now. Uh, Does anyone have a broken iPhone 5? iPhone 5? Yeah. No? <laughs> you got a new one already? And 4S. Yeah. What's busted on it? Uh, Water damage. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're we talking can... about that tonight. What, what's that? On a 5? 4S. Do we have a 4S screen? I do. It's gonna, it would take me a long time to do that repair. but uh, we, we, um, could, we could try it. That's about an hour long repair. We might be yeah. able to cram it into 45 minutes. I might be we able can to try. You want to try it? Does okay. anyone have a 5 that's can... busted? Because that'll be faster. Yeah, no, I mean, okay. we could. Yeah, we don't want you to break a perfectly good one. That's wasteful. <laughs> we actually have a broken five here. Yes. Yeah. I have we one do. I can use. Um, talk to me after who's got the 4S. I can help you out afterwards, all right? Okay, cool. awesome. Uh, but yeah, I've got one here I can use in demo. Uh, just kind of show you a little bit about what we do, how easy it is to repair, and uh, um, go through a little bit of the tools we got. So. We're constrained um, on stage. There are repairs that are easy but time-consuming, yeah. and I just don't think we would quite have time for the 4S. Yeah. yeah. Right. Under, under the lights. Yeah. Okay, now note, too, that, that this year we do not have cameras, so people, you sure. cannot say, look. Sure. Be, so what you, the rest of you will have to operate as your own cameras and squint like that. Sure. So, cool. all right, five. So this tool here um, is... The perfect thing for trying to open up an iPhone 5, 5S, 5C, anything in that range. So one of the problems with opening an iPhone is that uh, you're always afraid you're going to tear a cable that connects the actual logic board of the phone. So this thing's really nice because it, uh, it attaches to the, uh, to the screen um, with a suction cup and then it'll lift it up just the right amount uh, so it won't tear the cable uh, and you can still pop your screen off. So that there is a picture of what's called the iSclac. Uh, this is a product that we've carried for a little while, but uh, uh, this is the general process there. So I'm going to pop out the screws here and get so, going on it. So getting into an iPhone, if you've never taken an iPhone apart, 
Uh, they used to have Phillips screws on the bottom of it. The iPhone 3G and the original 4 had the normal Phillips screws, same as in your eyeglass. Small screw, most of us have one floating around. Uh, back in the 4S era, Apple decided to switch to a proprietary screwdriver that none of you have unless you've gotten a screwdriver just for this. So it's a five-point star bit. It's super tiny. It's called the pentalobe, and you pretty much have to have that screwdriver to get an iPhone open. So why did they go to this particular screw? Because they don't like us. <laughs> so Apple would prefer that you buy the product from them, use it for a while, and then if something breaks... Either you pay their repair price or you go and get a new one. Uh, and while we respect uh, that perspective, we disagree with it. We really think all of you should be able to fix everything that you have. And so we're doing our absolute darndest to make it easy for people to get into these things. We don't want it to just be possible to do a repair. We want it to be easy. And that's the idea with these repair guides is if we show you step by step, hey, remove these two screws, we'll make a tool to make it simple to pop the thing open. Uh, the easier we can make it, the more these phones are going to get fixed. Okay, so currently over here you have a mat, uh-huh. and so this mat isn't. You, we can't tip it up because there's stuff on it. Yeah, uh, it's gridded for the purposes of what? Sure. Well, it's it's our it's a project mat. We call it magnetic project mat. It's nice because it's magnetic. So right now I've got the two screws on there that go on the bottom of the phone, uh, and it's nice because they just stay there. So you never have to worry about them rolling off somewhere, uh, and never and never na- never being able to find them. So it makes it really convenient to do repairs because they just stay on there, and you can move this around. You can move your workstation around. So works out really well to help keep things organized depending on what step you're on. Really nice tool. And so when you do it, do you actually go in sort of order? Yeah. And, so, and then you work right to left? And... Yeah. Yeah, usually, uh, usually just number the steps in each grid there, and then it uh, uh, gives you a systematic way to go through the repair and then go back through the assembly process as well and making sure you put everything back to where it should go. I should do that because whenever I take anything apart, I'm the guy that just takes all the screws and, and puts them in a pile somewhere <laughs> and then thinks, oh, yeah, I'll remember that those little yeah. tiny screws went here. And then later on, I end up putting them in and like, no, that's, I'll just force it and then right. it'll be fine. What we have found with small device repair is that organization is half the battle. And I'm not organized, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so okay, we got the mat. If you don't buy our project mat, you can use an egg carton or uh, an ice uh, maker, just anything that will let you organize and keep the screws separate. Yeah. Okay. Some and people do- even just put tape down as well and just, you know, put it on the tape as they go right down the line. There's right. a lot of different, uh, you know, home concoctions you can do to stay organized as you do a repair like this. Okay, so what tools are you using? So you've got a box full of tools sure, over there. Sure, yeah. So this is, uh, this is our... Uh, uh, 54-bit driver kit. It's got a variety of uh, bits in there that uh, could tackle a variety of small electronics. Um, so that's the product that he's highlighting there. Um, this one for an iPhone is pretty straightforward. You just need a couple different screws. Um, you need the pentalobe driver and then uh, just a regular Phillips triple zero. Phillips triple zero is pretty much the bread and butter when it comes to working with uh, electronics. But uh, with this tool here, or this kit here is really nice and versatile for working with uh, a variety of things. Okay. Yeah. We, over the years, you kind of build up your toolbox and you collect little screwdrivers and here and there. We decided to put it all in one kit. And we update this driver kit uh, uh, once every year or so with whatever the latest bits that are going into these products. So when we first made the 54-bit driver kit, it didn't have the Pentalobe driver because Apple wasn't using it yet. And then they started using it and we said, okay, we're going to update the, the driver kit. So the idea is this is the canonical list of tools that you should, you should have on your bench. Okay, and by way of not really doing a plug, but I bought this thing, um, and I didn't tell you, I just bought it retail. Okay. Uh, because I had to f- fix some stuff, and 
you know, I'd been to various Home Depot, you know, and you go there and you kind of get this box of screwdrivers and like, no, well, I, oh, and I need this one. And, and I finally just gave up and went on Amazon and said, I'm just going to get this because th- I know these guys make the stuff that's going to prepare the electronics that I use routinely. So, and I've, I found the thing to be wonderful. Plus, I like the fact that it's magnetic. Yeah. Because I'm a screwdropper. I mean, yeah. Give me a chance to drop a screw. It's got to be magnetic. Yeah. You can't do electronics repairs without a magnetic screwdriver. Well, I think originally, when, didn't people feel sort of funny about that? Like, well, no, but if I do that, I'll, I'll demagnetize something that's inside my computer, and then it won't work. I mean, magnets around, like CRTs, was always an issue, but these days, the magnet is tiny, and there aren't issues. There's nothing in this that's, that's magnetic sensitive. <laughs> Do we have updates for it? That's a good question. Uh, we could sell, sell a couple of Yeah, so the question bits. is, do they offer upgrades to the kit if you buy it? And I'm seeing... Are no. we seeing individual, selling individual bits yet? We've been talking yeah. about... They're active, yeah. We so, sell individual bits. So one of the nice things about this, this kit and really um, the whole... Uh, what else comes with uh, what we call our ProTech... Uh, ProTech kit, which has this bit driver kit along with other tools, is we keep it updated fairly consistently, and all and the tools that you get in here, you can get separately as well yeah. on the site. So, so we um, should probably just do a post and say like, this is the new stuff, yeah. and then yeah, you can pick out the two or three new bits that you want. Yeah, that would make sense. But yeah, that that was for a long time. We were just selling the kit, and we realized we really needed to uh, either own dog food, and if we're talking about selling modular products, like actually sell the individual mod- modules. And so we've been doing more and more of that. Yeah. And yeah, we're always open to feedback because you're you're right. That's a good idea. So, how where are we on on what's happened sure. so far? Well, I'm now at the uh, delicate part of putting the cables back onto the uh, uh, the motherboard. So, uh, so as you're, the reason for the ice glack is that the difference between the iPhone five and the five S is this cable. This is the uh, this is the fingerprint sensor cable for the the new uh, fingerprint sensor, and it is uh, short, so when you, when you open the phone, you got to be very careful not to break that cable. So you can use the suction cup to get the phone open, but uh, it's easier to use the ice clack to pry it open a little bit. So what he's done, he's opened it up, he's got that off, he's disconnected the old display assembly, and you're putting the new one on now? Yeah, uh-huh. And there's a bunch of cables that overlap, so if you go down in the, uh, the guide yeah. here... Um, Right there, there's a bunch of cables uh, that overlap each other, so it's kind of delicate putting them all back together because sometimes one pops off, the other uh, doesn't stay on, and then you just want to make sure it's all, all obviously all back together so it'll power up, actually, when you put it. There's nothing more frustrating than putting the whole phone back together uh, and it doesn't turn on or the display doesn't power on. You can actually you can have everything connected except the display. Turn it on. It looks like the phone isn't on. It actually is. You're just not getting anything on the display. Yeah. Okay, and I see the battery there. How difficult is it to take the battery out and replace it? The battery itself is pretty straightforward. The, uh, um, in the 5S, they started using more uh, adhesive on the back that, uh, that really makes it uh, a little more difficult to get it off. Uh, he's going to the guide here to show you specifically what it looks like. But uh, um, keep going. There it is. So this starts the, the process of getting the battery off. Right there in the middle, step 20 is where... There's a little tab that you have to pull um, around the battery. It's kind of delicate getting it off, but there's adhesive behind the battery itself, and um, you're supposed to pull this tab around the sides of the battery. So, so if you've taken apart any iPhone ever, you'll, they, they put the battery on, they glue it, and over time they've made the glue stronger and stronger. And I, I think the reason they're doing that is that 
if, if your battery comes loose, sometimes it'll rattle around and you've got like a maraca. And people don't like that maraca effect, particularly Apple really wants their devices to be rigid. And so they are optimizing for the 0.001% of people whose phones turned into maracas by gluing everybody else's batteries down really, really solid. That's great until you get, for me, I was 11 months into this phone and I needed a new battery. I'm like, okay, 11 months in, need a new battery, get it open. And then prying the old battery up was really a challenge. So in an attempt to make the battery easier to remove, they're doing what they call a command adhesive. And you can actually, you can go to Home Depot and you can buy 3M command adhesive for like sticking a picture to a wall. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you stick the picture to the wall and then when you want to take it off, there's a little strip, you pull it, it shears the side of the adhesive and the whole thing comes off. It's pretty nifty. That's how it's supposed to work. What we find with Apple's implementation in the iPhone 5S is that it works that way about half the time. So if it's you and you're taking apart your phone, you open it, you, you follow our instructions, you pull the little tab, it shares the adhesive, it comes off. You're like, great, this is not an issue. And then you take apart the next one and you start to pull on the tab and it breaks. And now you're sitting there and it's the strongest adhesive they've ever used. You don't have the tab anymore and you have to go to plan B. And plan B for getting the battery out of the 5S, uh, do, do we have that documented here? Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Um, so that's plan, no, we, we don't. We, uh, I, I think we're talking about the plan B guide. All right, plan B is this didn't work. So you were not able to pull this little fancy plastic strip to get the adhesive off. So what you have to do is heat the front of the phone to a pretty high degree to loosen the adhesive and then work the plastic spudger up underneath the battery. And the goal anytime you're working on one of these batteries is not to puncture it. If you puncture the battery, the lithium reacts with the air and it smells bad and it can be a little bit of a a fire hazard. So to try to avoid setting your iPhone on fire, (laughs) we recommend not using metal tools when you're working on it. Always use plastic tools and really be careful as you're prying up the battery. Okay. So how often does one have to resort to the heat gun for any kind of repair? We really try to avoid the heat gun. Uh, anytime you have to apply heat to it, uh, it's a bit of a more complex process. What we are finding is that as Apple's designs are iterating and they're going thinner and they're using more glue, all of us in the repair world are having to adapt a little bit. And that's okay. We're smart. We can figure it out. But we have to be willing to use more tools than just our screwdrivers that we've been used to. Right. So we're using more heat. We, we started using a lot of heat on the iPads. So dismantling an iPad. Is there anyone here who's taken an iPad apart? Okay, so we've got... All right, three, three people here. For the rest of you, disassembling an iPad to replace a screen absolutely is possible, but it's challenging. Uh, and I'll, I'll show you just for some contrast. Uh, we, we take all the tablets on the marketplace apart, and we rate how easy they are to get in or how difficult they are to repair. So at the top, Dell has a tablet that doesn't sell very well, but, but it got a good score. The Amazon Kindles actually do pretty well. And as they keep scrolling, you'll note you haven't seen an iPad yet. Oh, here we go. Okay, so this is not, these tablets are worse than others. This is just, these tablets are harder to take apart than others. So the Microsoft Surface is absolutely the hardest tablet we've ever taken apart. Uh, the iPads aren't a whole lot better. And the reason is that all the way around the, the bezel on the front of it, there's, a, there's glue. So to get inside, uh, you have to loosen that glue. And we have a tool that we made that we call the eye opener. That's a, it, it's, it's a little um, sack that you throw in the microwave and then you put it on the edge of the iPad where you want to apply heat, and that loosens the adhesive a little bit. Uh, you can also use a heat gun, so not a, not a microwave, or n- not a 
hair dryer, but it's actually an industrial strength, like 15 watt heat gun. Yeah. The sort of thing that if you used it to dry your hair, would set your hair on fire. <laughs> Don't do that. But you can use it to, to uh, get this thing open. So what you do is you heat the edge, and then you go in along the side here. With your guitar pick. With the guitar pick, pick yeah. and a suction cup, and you kind of work your way around the edge. And it's very painstaking. Uh, it might take you half an hour or an hour to get the glass off an iPad, but it can be done, and, the, and this is the technique. And I, so when I see the big red rating against something, does that mean me as a normal person should just forget it, stay away? It just depends on Or how I should just take a whole lot more time and be very, very, very careful. So th this is a good question. And we always, people say, well, is this a repair I can do myself? I don't know. Take a look at the repair guide and see if it's something you feel from, uh, you know, comfortable with. If you have an iPad where it's completely shattered, uh, what are your options? Yeah, right. You've right? lost it anyway. It right? doesn't work anyway. You might as well you know, do a bit of a science experiment with the kids and take it apart and see what, what's involved. But yeah, in general, I would say iPad repairs are kind of on the other side of that line where I would recommend most consumers do it themselves. Right. There's lots of repair shops that are, that are out there. Um, oh, now, what about the Mini? Do is, do is that even more difficult because it's so small? or The, I, the, the, the iPad Mini? Yeah. Yeah, the iPad Mini, um, and I, I'm going to... I'm going to go into a bit more detail in our uh, lightning talk this, this afternoon, but we, we actually, we, we just wrote the repair manual for the iPad Mini, and it's the longest repair manual we've ever written. Wow. Um, so I'm going to go over iPad Mini, our Wi-Fi uh, repair manual for the iPad Mini Wi-Fi, and we'll just load this. And this guide, this is starting out with a microwave, by the way, because you're going to microwave our tool to heat it up. What, what repair ever started with a microwave? This is, welcome to the brave new world of Apple repair. <laughs> we don't come up with the designs. We just figure out how to get inside them. So going all the way along, so I'm on step 11, 12, 13. This is, we're now 25 steps in, and finally we got the glass off. And then you go through the process, disassembling. So once you get inside, it's relatively straightforward. There's just a lot of little screws. You can see just on the display, there's about 15 screws just holding the display on. Um, so go all the way down. I think the total is that it's about 67 steps to remove the battery from an iPad mini. So thank you, Mr. Ives. Wow. Okay, so what's happening over here? Sure. So it's done. It's all together now. I put the new screen on, and just to show you that I actually did it right, it is working. So, so again, it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. I mean, I did it here with... You know, while talking through a guide uh, with, with really three, four tools and uh, um, just took about 20 minutes. So fairly straightforward repair to uh, a common problem that happens with an iPhone. So. And how much is the screen for that? Uh, this screen, uh, we, we sell it for 120 bucks. So, $120? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? The mini retina repair in terms of if you crack the glass... You know, you, because you're not having to replace the display, you're just replacing the, the glass. Uh, it's not crazy expensive. Um, yeah, it's it's the thing that makes the mini a little harder is that uh, um, there is a uh, there's a cable that is attached to the uh, like the the digitizer, which is the touch panel, um, and uh, that connector uh, has to be connected by uh, specialty equipment. You can't do it yourself, so. That fusing of that cable on there really, for some reason, jacks up the price on the part. So it's more expensive than it should be. It's actually more expensive than an iPad uh, uh, 2 or 3 or uh, a Retina. Um, so unfortunately, it makes it a little more expensive. Over time, the price of the part may come down. Yeah. 
So where do you guys get your parts, particularly if they're proprietary Apple parts? Do you have to, like, cannibalize dead units to get them until somebody starts making them? It depends. We will. So we get parts. Uh, like, if we're going to sell the mainboard for an iPhone, the only place to get mainboards, there's nobody out there selling mainboards, uh, including Apple. So you can't get them unless you buy old iPhones, take them apart, and sell the boards out of them. So that's one thing that we'll do. Right. Uh, and we actually... the. The monitor, the, the desk stands that we use for our monitors at work are iPhone boxes. We'll have eight or 12 iPhone boxes as the stand for a monitor because we go through a lot of iPhones. Um, that's one way. Another way for something like a battery, we need to get those new. We're able to actually go to some of the same suppliers that Apple uses to get batteries. I mean, Sony makes batteries for Apple, and they're happy to sell other people batteries. Right. Uh, some other components like the, like the glass digitizers, sometimes we're able to get them from you know, the same factory that Apple uses. Sometimes uh, we'll work with third-party suppliers where they will actually manufacture, they'll you know, reverse engineer and create an aftermarket uh, you know, iPhone or iPad digitizer assembly. So this is just like in the automotive market. You go down to AutoZone, you want to get a new brake pad, you can get the, the manufacturer brake pad or you can get the aftermarket brake pad. In the Apple market, a lot of times we don't have the option to sell the manufacturer product because the only way to get OEM Apple parts is to take Apple products apart and sell the bits. Well, I I think the answer is probably pretty obvious, but it has to be asked. Uh, As Apple goes forward, are they getting better about repairability or (laughs) not quite so much? And are there exceptions? Are there certain kinds of Apple devices that are pretty reasonable to repair Sure. Yeah, this is a good question. I thought, I, let me show the uh, smartphone, and I can actually sort by release date. Um, so you can see the, the iPhone 5S and the 5C actually score pretty well. So I would say for Apple, it totally depends on the product line. Uh, we uh, it, just, in broad strokes, the Apple products that are out there right now, the iPads score poorly, the iPhones score reasonably well, the Mac Mini is fabulous, the Mac Pro is pretty darn good, uh, the MacBook Retina is awful, and the MacBook Airs are okay. So Apple is across the board uh, different in, in, in some of their product designs. And it's clear, like with the, with the Mac Mini design, that this was really thought out with upgradability in mind. The, the right. Mac Mini begs you, to, right? It's got the finger slots, you rotate it, you drop more RAM in. They want you taking it apart, which is the exact opposite of the experience with, with the iPads. Well, what about the new Mac Pro? It, I mean, they show the thing, you know, the cover off opens up. It seems like, oh, yeah, I can do all kinds of things in there. Right? The, the Mac Pro, the challenge with the Mac Pro is, is just that it's small. So there's not, there's not room for upgradability. And, and I mean, they did. They, they, they said, basically, the upgrade strategy for the Mac Pro is you plug something into it. That's yeah. the upgrade strategy. You can upgrade the RAM. Uh, but in terms of just pure repairability, being able to disassemble it and replace components if the fan fails or if the graphics board fails, it's pretty straightforward to take apart. Okay. And I'll go through. This is our teardown. Absolutely gorgeous design. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love that you can upgrade the RAM. And actually, this is kind of cool. So there's, um, you've, got, uh, you've got four RAM slots in it, right? And so Apple right now is saying that the max uh, RAM that you can upgrade is, is the 64 gigs. Uh, but now we've got higher density chips, so you can actually do 128 gigabytes of RAM in your Mac Pro, which is approaching SSD levels, right? You remember the RAM disks back in oh, OS yeah, 7? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty cool to bring that back. And <laughs> I want to throw my, my Final Cut file on my RAM disk. And, and it would be wicked, wicked fast. It would be awesome fast. Yeah. Um, recently, in a, at an Apple board meeting, 
Um, you know, Apple has certain investors who come in who, who don't believe in things like climate change or green technology or anything else. And sort of for the first time out of character, Tim Cook got heated about it and just said, you know, we believe in sustainability, we believe in green tech, we certainly believe the climate's changing, uh, and if you don't care for that, get out. So do you think with the advent of Tim Cook that they really are making greater efforts in terms of green technology, or is that PR, or is it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I, w- I would say I'm absolutely thrilled with, with Tim Cook's statement. It was, it was great that he, he came out and said that. I think they believe it, and you've got Al Gore on Apple's board, and I think they want to do the right thing. But I think that they're facing trade-offs right now where the way that you get an iPad that's going to sell well is you make it very thin, uh, and the best way to make it thin is you glue it together. That's what's working in the marketplace. That's what's making them successful. It's not an environmentally sound thing to do. But Apple is sort of between a rock and a hard place because if that's the way they have to make the product, uh, if that's what the market is demanding and they have to answer to their shareholders, then the environment has to take place out and fiddle to their, their shareholders. So I would hope that the very, very clever, smart people at Apple can find a way to accomplish what they need to in terms of design sensibility and also make the batteries easier to remove. Okay. Well, so we have a lot of technology in our lives. Uh, some of it we don't want to repair, some of it we just want to get rid of. We've heard of recycling through electronics places. You go to the recycling center and they say, right. oh, yeah, put your e-waste here. Right. And I feel good about that. <laughs> Should I feel good about it? What happens to that waste once I've put it in the bin? Sure. Yeah, this is a good question. This is, I go and hang out at all the recycling centers so all of you don't have to. <laughs> so... Uh, I'll give you in broad strokes what happens if you go down so a block from here is Green Citizen they will happily take any year old electronics if they can they will get uh, uh, an older electronics if you give them an iPad that's busted uh, and you just donate it to them they will probably fix it and resell it so that's fantastic that's a win for everyone and we help teach them how to how to fix iPads and they're doing very well with it going forward let's say let's say it's something they, they couldn't fix and what they do is they sell it to someone and electronics actually have a fair amount of valuable materials in it so there is 400 times as much gold in this as there is in a equivalent weight of gold ore coming out of the ground so they'll actually do urban mining where they're they're melting these things down and they're extracting raw materials from it that's pretty cool now the way they do that is they they, they take the battery out they take any hazardous components out they run the rest of the shredder and then they they take the the shredded bits and they put it in a smelter and they melt it down and i've actually been to the smelter in belgium where they melt it down and then they're getting gold and silver and copper out of it it's pretty cool like big vats of molten lava basically pouring out <laughs> it's really neat and they actually the circuit boards have because they're plastic have a lot of energy in them and so they actually use the heat generated from melting the or burning the plastic to, to melt the rest of it out the problem is that in the shredders, they have to remove the batteries before the products go through the shredder. Right. Why do they have to remove the batteries? Well, it's because when you puncture a battery, they catch on fire. Uh, and do you remember a couple years ago when that Apple iPad factory in Shenzhen blew up? Yeah. So the, it was a polishing factory where they were taking the aluminum cases and they were, they were polishing them down. Well, when you do that, you create a lot of aluminum dust. And what happened was they had aluminum dust build up in a ventilation duct. And then there was a spark, and just like a grain silo would blow up from, from you know, all the, the particulates in the air, you had this air explosion from iPad dust. The exact same thing happens in recycling centers. So when you're shredding iPads, you get a lot of aluminum dust in the air, and then if you miss a battery and a battery goes into the shredder, that's the ignition source, and you have recyclers catch on fire. 
And there is one particular recycler that has a facility in San Jose that has burned to the ground three times in the last five years. So recycling centers don't really know how to deal with these, these new products with iPads. And I, I was talking with one of the largest electronics recycler in the US who came to me the other day and said, hey, Kyle, how should we recycle iPads? I said, wait a second, isn't this, isn't this your job? They said, well, actually, you know, I went out to all my plant managers and I said, hey, come up with a process for safely recycling iPads. And we did a follow-up call a week later, and out of five facilities we had try it, we had four fires. So they're trying to get the iPads open. They, they go to try to get the, the glue out, and they're, they're puncturing the batteries, and they're setting them on fire. And it turns out, come, come to do a bit of research, Apple and other electronics companies don't provide the recyclers with any information on how to recycle their products. There is no information flow from the product designers to the recycling team. So we sat down, my mechanical engineers and I, we sat down with the recyclers and we sort of figured out a process to do the iPad safely. But I was blown away that this is just not something that is happening today. So you assume that we have these modern electronics that you can't right. get in and recycle them. That's, that's not really what's happening and it's sort of a wild west out there. Mm -hmm. So what happens with the stuff that's too toxic or too dangerous for us to deal with in this country? It just gets shipped off... It God gets shipped where. off or it gets landfilled or if they can't figure out what to do, like with iPads right now, they're just stockpiling them because they don't know how to recycle them. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, I've seen these photo essays of sort of these, these poor kids who are like stripping copper out of right. things and looks, one, unhealthy, unsafe. Right. And that's where all our stuff ends up. It's like right. to us, it's just like, yeah, no problem because I got rid of it. But then it just sort of sets, being sent over in these container trucks. Right. And, uh, you know, I guess it's responsible in that you're not polluting your backyard, but you're certainly polluting something. Right. When I met a lot of those kids, um, so we, we, we try to talk, this is a, kind of talking about the, like, how do we get people repairing more instead of recycling? These are all the elements on the phone, and the red ones are elements that just aren't really recoverable in recycling. So, yeah, we get this huge issue, and, and we're not really paying a lot of attention to it. So we just recently relaunched iFixit.org. Uh, which is ifixit.com has all the repair manuals and parts. Ifixit.org is talking about some of these some of these material issues, uh, and I, we don't have all the answers. It's it's really a challenge, but I think there needs to be more discussion about it, and and we need to be holding the manufacturers a bit more responsible because honestly, they're focused more on getting the product out the door, and I appreciate that, but there, there's very little emphasis on what happens behind, you know, after, after the fact. And I know those kids, the kids in Ghana that are mining electronics for raw materials, I'm friends with some of them, they're really good kids, and they would like a different job, but they're able to make money, they're able to, you know, put, put food on the table by burning electronics, getting copper out of the wires, and, and reselling it. Yeah, but where are they in 10 years? Where are they in 15 years? And they have medical health? issues, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really and a challenge. they're just kids. Right. So what could manufacturers do? I mean, other than you know, getting the word that there's an awful lot of unhealthy stuff in here, is it just an inherent part of electronics that you have to have poison in these things for them to work? Yeah, to, to some extent, yes. This is really a challenge. In manufacturing electronics, they're incredibly complex. Out of, out of all the elements on the periodic table, 70 of them are in your cell phone. Only about 15 of those can we get out in recycling. See, you've got a huge amount of raw material that goes into phones. We're nowhere close to being able to make new cell phones from old cell phones. And there is toxic uh, materials that have to be used along the way. That's just how semiconductors are made. So I think if you're going to make a, a, an electronic product, which we need to benefit humanity, we have to figure out a way to make these things last longer. 
Right. Uh, and we also need to be building recycling centers around the world. And I think as, if, if you're a manufacturer and you're making a product that you know is going to be used globally, whether you sell it in Kenya or not, there should be an electronics recycling center set up in Kenya. And there just isn't a manufacturer-funded recycling center anywhere in Africa outside of South Africa. Right, but at the same time, we as Apple users understand how this works. Some amazing new product comes out every year, and you think, well, I already have the last version of that amazing new product, but this is more amazing. And so I want this. What can I do as a consumer to have my cake and eat it too? The key thing is that all the things that we buy, let's get the maximum utility we possibly can. So you you, want to get a new iPhone 5S? Great, go get it. But your, your 4S, give that to your kids or sell it on Craigslist or get it to someone else that can use it. If we're going to put in this much effort uh, and environmental impact to make the product in the first place, let's get the maximum utility we possibly can. And I don't see any reason. I mean, this is a phenomenal product. It's extraordinarily well designed. It's extraordinarily durable. Uh, the only flaw is that the battery lasts a year or two, but that's replaceable. So this phone should last 10 years. It might not be functional and usable in San Francisco for 10 years, but it could very much be a viable product in 10 years in Nairobi. So let's, let's get these things used as long as possible and in the hands of people that really need them. Okay. Because there's the flip side. Electronics are making all of our lives better. We're more productive. We, we can get more done. They're raising uh, income levels around the world. Electronics are productivity tools that are dramatically making the world better. And I think access to telecommunications, access to a cell phone is a basic human right. I think everyone in the world should have a cell phone. We just have to figure out a way to get it to them in a sustainable manner. Right. You know, we actually have a microphone up here for the audience. So if anyone has a question, you're welcome to step right up and, uh, and ask it. Otherwise, I will just keep talking. So... Come on up to the mic. Hello there. Um, just more of a thought, more than um, an actual direct question. Uh, do you guys have a task force moving forward with the recycling of these devices, or what type of help you guys might be requesting to get this task accomplished? <laughs> that's a good question. That's a very big question. Uh, I'll show you what, one thing that we did. That's that's. Uh, not going to say this has a massive impact, but it's something that you can do. We put a pledge up on ifixit.org where you can say that I'm going to learn more, uh, to fix more things and fight for our right to repair. And so we've got people taking this pledge, and we have a map of people around the world that have taken it. So this is cool, uh, just in terms of you know, putting a, a marker in the ground and saying this is what I stand for. But I think we need to be asking more thoughtful questions of manufacturers. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity for policy change. We've been working on on you know, re-legalizing cell phone unlocking this year. So there's a lot of issues going on, and we're, we're, we're writing about a lot of these on ifixit.org, and we've also got some, some links at the bottom for ways that you can get involved here. Mm-hmm. So I would say check out ifixit.org, sign the pledge, uh, and there's additional ways on here that you can get involved. Now, are there particular companies that are doing really, really well in this regard, and then some others that are doing really, really poorly? Sure. Yeah, so to step outside the electronics realm a little bit, let me pimp one of my absolute favorite companies in the world, which is Patagonia. Uh, Patagonia is uh, based on the Central Coast. They're just south of our office. Uh, I've got my Patagonia jacket, and they actually, they will fix anything that you ever buy from Patagonia for free. They have a lifetime warranty, and they have a team of seamstresses that will do repairs. So they actually gave me, this is a a busted jacket, and we, uh, we sewed this patch on the side of it. So that's a model where you would think clothes, nobody fixes clothes anymore. Like you might fix an iPhone, but you would never fix a jacket. Well, they're doing it. 
On the electronic side, Dell, HP, and Lenovo all make repair information available on their website and sell service parts for their products. So that's what we would like to see Apple do. Right. Apple should be making service manuals available for their products. They should be selling service parts to those of us that need it. So we put them on the not-so-good side. In that respect. In, in other areas, you know, Apple makes very durable products, and those have uh, positive environmental impacts. So you know, there's a push and pull there. Right. Okay, and, and oh, you have a question? Yeah, I was just curious. Uh, maybe I missed this earlier in the discussion. Uh, how does all this uh, vary against Apple's exactly a policy within their own organization? They do take products back and uh, repurpose. Uh, you can repurpose your products and whatnot. So I'm just kind of curious exactly sure. what, uh, what other pro- programs and what happens to the stuff that they can't recover. Sure, you're asking about Apple's take-back program where you send the product back to them. Well, they also have, they also have recycle policy uh, right. on, on their web page. Right. Yes, and Apple, like other electronics manufacturers, is required by law to take products back, particularly in California. Like when you buy a TV, you pay a recycling fee. That goes to fund some of the recycling that's going on. So Apple does collect a huge amount of product. Uh, it's nowhere near as much product as they make. Uh, and it's not their product necessarily. They're, they're helping fund programs uh, ar- around the, the country. So this is in terms of, of collecting electronics to be shredded and melted down. Apple is doing a decent job at that. I think it's really around the life extension and reuse side where they're the weakest. But I think that their, their, their recycling and environmental programs around recycling have been decent. Now, they're not providing the information to recyclers on how to recycle their own product. So if Apple collects a Dell laptop, gives it to a recycler, the recyclers don't generally have problems with that because it's easy to get the batteries out of those. But the recyclers don't have any idea how to recycle a Retina MacBook Pro, for example. So if Apple, for a variety of reasons, started manufacturing in in this country, would it make a significant difference in terms of energy use, recycling, uh, just general green policy? That's a good question. this is where you start to get into the, some of the esoteric engineering details of, well, where is the aluminum that the case is made mined, and how far does it have to go right. before it gets to the consumer? I'm not sure. It would be really interesting to see what percent of the products Apple makes are sold in the U.S. I think it's, I think it's less than a third. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, that's what I wonder, because you centralize all the manufacturing in, in right. China. And then from that hub, you have to go everywhere. So maybe... If you had decentralized manufacturing where you're making a product closer to the consumer... Right, which they once did. They had Ireland, there was the, in Asia, the U.S., Mexico. Yeah. Austin. Austin, right. Yeah, they made some over by Sacramento. I, it, it would be interesting. On the, on the flip side, there's so many components that have to go into making an electronic. There are a lot of efficiencies in mass manufacturing in Shenzhen. Right. So that's a difficult question. It would be really interesting to see. And, and this is an area where you know, Apple has posted more and more information about their environmental impact and their supply chain. And the more information they share, the easier it is for us to get in and dig into that data and, and start to learn. But I can tell you, the folks that we talk to at manufacturers wrestle with these questions. And it's, it, sustainability at the level of what we're trying to do with electronics is a really, really hard problem. And I have a lot of respect for the folks in these companies that are trying to do it. No one's successful yet, but we can work toward it. All right. Um, also, in, in regards to iFixit, you guys just don't do Apple stuff, right? Nope. And Because a couple of years ago, you said, oh, look, we, we've started this whole sort of crowdsourcing thing, and uh, you know, it isn't just computers and laptops and, and, and phones, but uh, washing machines and 
lawnmowers, maybe? Yeah, we, we have a surprising amount of information on iFixit. I'm always shocked. I get questions. People come and say, hey, Kyle, do you guys have a repair manual for an oscilloscope? And I'll say, no, we don't have a repair manual for an oscilloscope. And then I go and look, and sure enough, somebody posted repair guides. So iFixit's just like Wikipedia. You can post anything you want. We've got a lot of information on how to do car repairs, how to do basic maintenance, everything from changing your oil to how to, how to check the depth on your spark plugs to see how, how current they are. Our goal is to make it easy for people to fix everything that they have. And we're, we're, information is being added to the site far faster than I can keep track of. So if somebody, wanted, if somebody knew how to repair a particular kind of toaster oven, how would they go about getting that information into iFixit? So you go over, you go over to appliance, or you can actually just click contribute and start a repair guide there. Uh, also on our on our Android app, you can actually take photos in the Android app and contribute a repair guide. Uh, that's pretty cool on Android. On iOS, our our mobile app is it's great, it, but you can only consume the repair manuals. You can't create them. However, our iOS app is also open source. So if any of you want to help us add mobile guide creation to our, our iOS app, we would love help. Okay, it's on GitHub. Any other questions? No? Okay, so what's the next year look like for you guys? We're, uh, we're doing a lot with outdoor gear right now. So we just launched this partnership with Patagonia where they asked us to help them put repair guides online for their products. We're excited about that. We're doing a bunch of kind of cool outdoor gear. We're talking with, um, we're talking with some local, I mean, some comp- manufacturers based in San Francisco about adding more guides. We have a partnership with engineering universities where students can write repair manuals as part of their coursework. So that's going really well. Uh, we're always looking for donations of hardware. So if you have a gizmo that you think iFixit should have a repair manual for, and you don't have time to take it apart and write a repair manual yourself, you can actually send it to us, and we'll get it to a, a university student who will write a repair manual for it. Nice. Uh, is there anybody out there who has a broken piece of gear that they would <laughs> dearly love to see a repair manual for? Like think somebody just it? gave me a Canon 5D Mark II. And so we're super excited. We're going to get a complete Canon 5D Mark II repair manual up on the site. Really? That'll be, that'll be super neat. And we've got, we've got some Nikon guides. I think taking apart SLRs is really fun. Uh, I think it's a D70. Yeah. So getting into the D70 and taking it apart is pretty darn interesting. And, and these SLRs are complex, uh, but they're pretty fun once you get inside them. So this is, this is for the Nikon D70, and we'd like to do this for some of the other, other Canon products. Isn't this thing gorgeous inside? I have a D70. It's, I mean, is there anything I can do to upgrade the thing? Or is, this is simply it stopped working, and here's likely what happened. Yeah, get this in is there. more, more, yeah. There's some, there's some firmware updates that you can do to them in terms of tinkering, but there isn't really camera upgrades. Yeah, right, know. right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, um, I believe you guys wanted to give some stuff away. Yeah, we've got some, some gizmos. I have, uh, we have here, got some other stuff. The other thing I, I, th- I thought I would show off, this is our new uh, new product. This is a Protec screwdriver set. So this is high-quality mobile screwdrivers. So if you're, if you're using the screwdriver a lot more often than the 54-bit driver set, then this is really useful uh, for having on your workbench all the time. And then it folds up in a handy-dandy tool roll. Okay. So... Um... How do you want to pick somebody? How should we pick people? I don't know. I generally do whose birthday is today well, or hey, as close as I, I, I want to know, who is, was there anyone at the original Macworld? You were at the very first Macworld? Okay, I, I think that's pretty All right. 
Do you remember? So I saw a photo. Come on up and you can, we'll, we'll give you a screwdriver set. We'll give you that, yeah. Um, Thank you. Uh huh. So, you. question for you about the original Macworld. I saw there was a photo in the, the San Francisco, I think, Chronicle today of uh, the original Macworld. They were doing RAM upgrades on the 128K Mac, which required desoldering the RAM chip and, and soldering three. So you had your 128K Mac upgraded to 768K. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's do the birthday thing. I saw a guy okay. in the corner say, is it your birthday today? Well, yeah. happy birthday, but... I think we, we may have another one. Is, is somebody else's birthday, birthday, birthday today? All right. Oh, okay. Tomorrow. Well, we're going to check this guy's ID and make sure that he really is today. <laughs> we'll give you one of these magnetic mats like I was using earlier. And I'll just, yeah, I, I trust Could you. I have a major credit card, too, with that, please? <laughs> and I'll need to know your social security number. Yeah, I, and I need your social security number, too, please. And your signature. It'll work out great. Um, something else? 54? One Bit more. Driver kid? Well, that guy's birthday's tomorrow. All Come right. on, happy early birthday. Birthday tomorrow. <laughs> you can do that. 88. 88? Wow, all right. All right. Nice. Congratulations. Okay, I still hope I recognize what a screwdriver is when I'm 88. <laughs> and you can hold your, you know? Yeah. You gotta get in there and do that. Yeah. What, what do you got here? This is a nifty little product we sell. It's called the Thirsty Bag. So how many of you have dropped your, uh, your phone into uh, water, heard uh, water damage, experienced that before a few of you out there? Okay, so this is a cool little thing. Uh, it's uh, basically designed to just rip open. You throw your device in there. Uh, and it's got some uh, desiccant material in there that'll pull the moisture away from the uh, uh, away from the the board and all the different components, and hopefully increase the chances of saving your device. So, uh, oh, there was a guy who who had a water damaged phone that couldn't be repaired. Yeah, where where is he? He's I think he's here. Or he he was here. Yeah, it's too late. Well, I know, but I just case. figured. Well, next time, buddy. Yeah. Now you know. Uh, okay, so who routinely drops their phone into the toilet? Anybody? Who's done it more than once? That's a good... Okay, uh, this woman over here. Yeah, okay. She, she gets, gets it. it. She takes the cake. <laughs> Washers, that's yeah. pretty common. Yeah. yeah. This there is preventative. This is not a repair tool. This yes. Is a, this is preventative. Yeah. So keep that with you. At all times. In your back you can, pocket. You can make your own with a bag of rice, or you can use the desiccant packets that come with a pair of shoes. Hang on to them, stick them in a Ziploc bag, and then when the time comes, use it. Okay. Well, our time is up. So this was awesome. Thank you very much again. The website is? iFixit.com. iFixit.com. And if you want to learn more about recycling and green technology, it's iFixit.org. So check it out. And are you guys here on the show floor anywhere? Yeah, we're we're not on the floor. We're wandering around. There's a few of us in the back of people with iFixit jackets. Feel free to ask us questions. Uh, And then we're also doing a couple sessions. So if you have a a session badge, you can get into the sessions. We're doing one at 2 o'clock. And we're also doing a rapid-fire talk at 5. Excellent. Good. Well, thanks for coming, and we'll see you guys around.